Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. And we are rolling live with a very special edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Today, you're just not going to believe who I have on the show. (laughs) Today, I have a very special guest, Remy Adeleke. Hope I said that right, Remy. He is, thanks, brother. Born into a Nigerian royal family, with the death of his father, his family moved across the pond to the Bronx. As a young man, he got involved with crime, but he turned his life around in his late teens, joining the military, and after a long and winding road, eventually became a Navy SEAL. Because of his experience of being a SEAL, he was hired as an actor and military consultant for the movie Transformers The Last Night. Remy is also the author of Transformed, a Navy SEAL's unlikely journey from the throne of Africa to the streets of the Bronx to defying all odds. The reason I reached out to him is because of his upcoming new movie about human trafficking, The Unexpected Film, which drops this Friday on YouTube. Remy, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's all a blessing to be here to share. Did I miss any uh, big spots on the on the intro? Any big gaps there? Ah, uh, no, you got it all, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure appreciate you being on today, uh, especially the circles that you're running in today. You're accessible to me, and I appreciate it. Um, yeah, on, on the show, it, it's not very much out of the scope of trauma recovery to, to, at all to be talking about uh trafficking and sex trafficking and child sex trafficking. I've had some pretty major names on the show covering that. Uh, do you know Craig Sawyer? Uh, I want to say I met him before. His name sounds, I'm bad with names, I'm good with faces. All right. What now does he work with? Well, uh, he founded Veterans for Child Rescue. He's a SEAL Team 6 guy. Got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard the name before. So yeah, he's He's a SEAL brother. He's a badass uh, fella, really nice guy. And he came up with um, his Contraland is the name of his documentary. Please watch it. Uh, You guys should definitely hook up a couple of SEALs that are in the same realm. So what brought you into this lane with all the stuff you got going on, all the cool movies, uh, Hollywood guy, what got you into the lane of, uh, of human trafficking? Yeah, when I got out of the military in 2016, I still felt this need to serve. You know, I was getting my master's degree in organizational strategy slash business. And, you know, so I had my day job aspirations. But, you know, having served in the military for 13 years, I talked to a lot of other veterans and they all feel the same way. You still feel this pulse, this need, this drive to wake up in the morning and serve in some way. So I I just would serve with different nonprofits. I started out with, with, you know, local nonprofits, inner city kids, going to school, speaking, hanging out, uh, taking kids out of an inner city 
into, you know, nice museums and restaurants just to expose them to other things the same way my mom did. I went to prisons. I did, you know, prison work where I was just, I would speak to the guys and, you know, serving life sentences, murderers, rapists, you name it, you know, I spoke to them. And sometimes I would just sit with them in a prison and, 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 and share life with them. And But human trafficking was the one that just kept on popping up, kept on coming my way. It wasn't something that I pursued. Because uh, I didn't know much about it, just like most people, they're not aware of the statistics and the reality of it. And I want to say about 2016, I was contacted by a nonprofit called Without Permission out of Sacramento. And they reached out to me and said, hey, we're doing this rally. You know, we heard your story. Can you come be a part and help us, you know, raise money and do some stuff? Because human trafficking is a big issue up here. So I said, absolutely, no problem, you know, sign me up. Um, then about a year later, another nonprofit called Slave to Nothing, which the the, the owner of In-N-Out Burger, Lindsay, uh, she's the founder of the nonprofit. She reached out to me through her team and said, hey, I'm, I'm doing this fundraiser for my human trafficking nonprofit. Can you come help out? And so it was just one of those things. It was like a reoccurring thing, right? Like I would go back and work on my Hollywood stuff and then, you know, work on my speaking and writing and all that. And then somebody would reach out to me. And so fast forward to, uh, um, uh, to about two years later, 2017, 2018, I was contacted by, by another human trafficking organization. And this specific human trafficking organization employs former SEALs, special operations guys, agency guys to go down into South America, other countries to kind of do what, you know, Craig Sawyer is doing to rescue kids trapped in sex trafficking, organ harvesting, forced labor, so on and so forth. And so as soon as they sent me the video, so what was going on, I was like, sign me up. Like, I'm in. I showed my wife the video, and she was just like, I, you know, I typically I don't like you going back to your old job, but I support this 100%. You know, my wife's a doctor, and she used to work in um, community medicine, so she saw a lot of things, a lot of abuse cases and, and stuff like that as it related to kids. So she was super supportive. And so, you know, I, I did a, a – you know, I did – some work with them and that work led me to down to Dominican Republic and Haiti. And in 2018, I was down in DR and I was in this particular slum where the parents would sell their daughters to sex traffickers and the traffickers would take their daughters into the North part of DR for them to have sex with Westerners because this particular part of DR, like Americans, people from Europe, other Western countries would come so that they could have sex with underage girls. As a matter of fact, the profile for, uh, for men who travel abroad to have sex with, with, with underage girls and kids in general, the profile are American men for the most part. And so uh, in this particular slum, these parents did that. And as a father, at the time I didn't have a daughter, I have a daughter now, but at the time I had, you know, three sons and no, two sons, I couldn't grasp that concept. Like that was totally forward to me. And our liaison pulled me into this chapel that was probably the size of three toilet stalls. And at the end of the chapel, there was a baby in a casket, a six-month-old baby in a casket that was dead. And what he was trying to explain to me was that the baby had died because the mother ran out of uh, breast milk. You know, she, she wasn't eating enough and getting enough sustenance to, to produce breast milk. So she got some formula and she mixed the formula with the local water, which is like a no-no in this particular slum because it's a very, very poor I mean, poor, poor, bad slump, and that's what killed the baby. So what the liaison was, he was using that situation as a way to help me to understand their desperation. And the minds of the parents, it's like normal, hey, I'll sell one daughter or two daughters for traffickers, 
because then I'll have food and water for the rest of my kids or for myself. And even to me, like as a parent, like it's still hard for me to grasp that understanding, but it made a little bit more sense as to why these parents would do that. And again, it all, it all felt under the realm of desperation, which I can talk about a little bit later as I got deeper into human trafficking, specifically organ harvesting. So fast forward, I got back from that trip and I want to say July of 2018, and I had a voicemail from Michael Bay's producing partner, Mike Case. And he was like, hey, dude, where are you? We're looking for you. Michael Bay is starting his next movie, Six Underground. He wants you to be a consultant on the film. Like, what's going on? Where have you been? Are you available to do this? And I was like, yeah, I'll jump on and do this movie. But it was at that time frame. And I don't, I don't want to say in that moment, but it was through that situation where it's like these two worlds collided. Here I was down in, you know, in Dominican Republic and, and, and seeing these horrible things and being exposed to human trafficking. And I come back and I have this opportunity to work on a movie. And that's why I was like, how about I combine these two worlds? Because I can go down to South America and other countries and rescue 100 kids, but there's still going to be 100,000 more kids that, that need to be rescued. Of the 600 to 800,000 globally trafficked victims every year, the majority of them are women and children. So like, there's only but so much I could do and I felt like I could have a bigger impact through film, you know, working in the film and TV industry because most people won't read a New York Times article or Vice article or, you know, scour the internet to find, you know, videos about human trafficking, but they will watch a movie. You know, they will watch, you know, a TV series, something that projects it in, a, and I hate to use this word, but in an entertaining way that's palatable. And that was kind of where this idea came to me to do it as a film. I saw it as a psyops operation. So when we go overseas and do missions in special operations, there are army units and other units that have that are called psyops. And what they'll do is they'll go into, or, or there's another term, civil affairs, psyops, but they would go into the communities that we were doing our, our operating in and they would hand out food, they would rebuild schools, they would, you know, you know, uh, tend to soccer fields, hand out soccer balls, you know, get, hand out pamphlets. And that there's a term that came out in, in, in the uh, early 2000s, winning the hearts and minds, right? So yeah. if you can win the hearts and minds of the locals, then they'll be more inclined to point out the bad guy or not let people recruit their kids into, into terrorist activity or, you know, allow you to operate in their, in their, in their, uh, in their area. And that's winning the hearts and minds. So that's where I was like, let's make also make this a psyops operation, create a, a piece of media and a film or TV type platform that can go out into the public and make the public aware of the realities of human trafficking or organ harvesting because most people are not even aware of it. And then, well, let's, let's for, for a moment, Remy, let's talk about the realities of it. Because I think there's, what I've been seeing is that there's still a feeling that as soon as you mention sex trafficking, uh, people think you're a QAnon conspiracy theorist. Like, no, no, this, this is an actual real thing. It's a rather gargantuan business. But people can't really grasp or it's difficult to accept that in the U.S. alone, the industry is between 30 and $50 billion because it's covert. Nobody knows for sure, but those are the best estimates. Like, it's, it's massive. It's an industrial scale, and it's completely real. But when something is too horrible to believe, people sometimes just don't. Which is, yes. This is why we have Holocaust deniers and people yeah. of that. Uh, when something's just too horrible to believe, they just 
don't believe it. They find a way uh, that cognitive distance is just too strong. Have you been running into any resistance in the Hollywood circles to making this film or um, is, is there a barrier there of any sort? Uh, I want to well, I would say yes or no. So this film originally started out as a TV treatment and my agent shopped it around Hollywood and everybody said the same thing. Hey, this is great writing, but it's too dark. So the pushback I got was, you know, it's too dark. People don't want to, you know, COVID is going on. And this was, you know, 2020, 2019. So COVID is all going on. There's all this stuff going on in this country. And the last thing people want to do after, you know, trying to survive outside is come back and watch a story about human trafficking. And, and I, my objection to that was, well, people watch all kinds of crazy horror movies and people getting chopped up and girls getting raped and all of this crazy stuff. People watch that all the time, you know, so it clearly is an appetite for it. So as far as like pushback, I would just say the pushback was more like the gatekeeper saying, no, we don't want to put money behind creating this type of content. But as far as like me creating it, no, like, like I, you know, I got support from my agents. I got support from our, from our reps. Um, and, and, you know, I was able to get a nice crew and team behind me to, to make this film. And, and I, I put it out to the marketplace. I'm, I'm, I'm releasing it in, in, um, in, at the end of this week. And, you know, I was able to get a film deal out of it. So now this short film, 32 minute short film, is not going to turn into a uh, two hour feature film. So, you know, I think what it all comes down to is, you have to prove yourself. You have to prove to the to the industry that there is an appetite for this kind of content. There's an appetite for truth, and then you have to go out and do it yourself. And once you prove concept, then they'll get behind it. Because at the end of the day, Hollywood is just a business for them. It's all about money, right? And 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 if something is going to make them money, then they'll get behind it. So, but people it takes people taking the risk. Like I put one hundred fifty thousand dollars of my own money into this film to make this film. So it took me, you know, taking that risk and putting my money into it, one, to educate the masses, but two, to prove concept, to prove that there is an appetite for this. And what is the feature film looking like as far as release date and whatnot? Well, we're still in the development stage. The screenplay is done. Uh, we're raising financing now. So we have like a few investors. The budget for the film is going to be somewhere between 30 and $40 million because we're trying to do this movie right, you know, and do it justice. We don't want some cheesy, corny human trafficking film that nobody's going to see. We want it to be done at like a studio type level. Um, so we're in the process of raising financing. We have, you know, uh, two major investors who are super, who are like right there on the fence. They've already seen everything and they're pretty much on board. It's just going to take a little bit more, hey, make the decision type thing. And that's kind of where we are right now. And then we're hoping that, you know, we can get into production the first half of 2023. We'll definitely get a hold of Craig Sawyer because I'm imagining that he probably has a couple of uh, sugar daddies in his Rolodex that would want to invest into a film like that, throw a couple ten million at it. Yeah, well, I'll let you uh, make that connection and let him know. I'll I'll, I'll even send you the short film after this so you can watch it ahead of everybody. uh, Behind the curtain. Thank you. I meant to send it to you before this, but I got so busy I forgot to do it, so I'm sorry. That's right. There's enough of uh, you on the the Today Show and everything else, and uh, the the clip of you. Hey, the, there's a clip of you, the 18 minute piece on um, the D and D uh, .gov or whatever yeah. uh, site. Was that uh, Jocko Willink narrating yeah. it? It yeah. was Jocko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Uh, what yeah. team were you on? Uh, I was on three. 
I was on three, and then there's another team uh, called SA, who was, used to be called SA1, and that was the team I was on as well. Uh, and that was Jocko's team then? No, Jocko's was three. I thought you were three. Yeah, I was a, I was a three and an SA1. Oh, okay. So not yeah. the same three. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah. So yeah. Um, what the, uh, the short film drops this Friday. And yeah. uh, is that going to be a pay-per-view or is that open for everybody? You know, it's open for everybody. I had the opportunity to sell a film, the sheet notes, a short film, to sell it to a distributor. And I got out with a recoup my money, but um, people want to be able to, most people want to be able to see it, right? Because they would have to subscribe to this platform and yada, yada, yada. And that would make it hard. And I wanted, I, again, I want this film to be an awareness piece. So that's why I decided to just put it on YouTube. So it's just going to go on YouTube for free. Um, the link is going to be in my bio. I'll send you the link once it's on YouTube so that that way you can uh, push it out to your people. But it's simple. It's going to be on YouTube. It's going to, all somebody has to do is search the unexpected film. Uh, they can add in Remy Adelaide in that search as well. And, and the film will pop up. Right. As a matter of fact, right now I've been putting uh, behind the scenes content on the YouTube channel as a buildup so people can hear interviews from uh, actors and, and producers and others who have been a part of the film and, and understand more about human trafficking. I'm actually going to be releasing an interview tomorrow on a YouTube channel uh, where I interviewed a guy who was trafficked from Venezuela to Colombia to the Mexican border, escaped and, and, and finally escaped into the U.S. But, you know, it's so there's a lot of good content that's, that's already on YouTube that's going to be on YouTube leading up to the release of the film on YouTube uh, this Friday. It seems like there's a lot of folks that, although you know, like, like any normal human being, they're not for sex trafficking or any kind of trafficking. And yet when there's stuff like this that, that comes out, people are hesitant to share it because uh, they don't yeah. want It's almost like it takes a certain amount of courage to share this kind of content. What do yeah. you think that's about? Like, why, did, why are people hesitant to share things like this? What is it that they don't want to be uh, painted with? I think that what, I think that people are, you know, a lot of people, especially in, our, in this current time we're living in, they just want to stick their hands, heads in the sand. They just want to say, oh, this is not my problem. This is not my, you know, this is not something I'm exposed to. You know, let me, you know, let me just stick my hands, head in the sand and act like it doesn't happen. I think that that, that could be a piece to it. Um, but the interesting thing is I hear a lot of people from multiple different backgrounds. I've heard this for years, pretty much most of my life. I've heard people say, you know what, if I lived in the 1800s when slavery was prevalent in the United States, I'd do something. I'd pick up arms. I'd fight slave masters. I'd do everything in my power. I'd hide slaves. I'd, you know, to keep them from getting captured. I'd do everything in my power to fight against slavery. I hear that all the time. I've been hearing it for years. And the reality is there's more people enslaved around the world, including in America today. There's more people enslaved around the world today than any other time in human history. And so all of that grit and fortitude and, 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 and commitment that you say you would give to the 1800, to slavery in the 1800, you have the opportunity to do that now. Well, I, you, you know, know maybe that's yeah. another, we should change the wording. Um, yeah. When I was in the Balkans in, uh, in the 90s, they called it ethnic cleansing, which just drives yeah. me wild. It's freaking yeah. genocide. Okay. It's, 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 they're not taking a bath. It's not ethnic cleansing. It's genocide, but you'd use a euphemistic word to soften it up. And maybe sex trafficking is a word like that too. Maybe we should talk, we should call it sex slavery. You know, well, you know, no, no, no. we should just call it slavery period in my opinion. And that's, and that's, and that's another yeah. issue. 
crime. You're right. You know, the, the word human trafficking, when people hear the word human trafficking, they just equate it to sex trafficking. And I think that that's one of the biggest fallacies. I saw a comment when the article came out that I was doing a feature film version. Somebody said, oh, another another one of those sex trafficking movies getting made. And it's like, the movie's not a sex trafficking movie. It's an organ harvesting movie, which is a film that type of film that's never really been made, especially at the scale that we're doing it. Human trafficking is a blanket term. There's organ harvesting, which falls on the human trafficking, which my short film focuses on, my feature film will. There's sex trafficking. There's labor. Um, there's there's uh, there's forced marriage marriages where girls are trafficked from other parts of the country into Western countries, India, up in, in UAE, so on and so forth, to be forced into marriage. There's uh, there's uh, um, drug trafficking. I think the guy who I, I'm going to release this interview tomorrow, you know, he was in captivity with kids who were used to, to move drugs into the United States, right? There's blood, there's blood trafficking. There's a story, famous story about it that came out about two months ago about a, a Chinese businessman who traveled to Cambodia for business. He was abducted by a gang and he was blood trafficked for months. They kept him in captivity. They kept drawing his blood and selling his blood. And so there, there are multiple facets of human trafficking. I think that, that yes, I, I believe that the, the term should be changed, I, I, you know, because, and also for this simple fact that, as you brought up earlier, when people hear human trafficking, they automatically go to QAnon, and, and it's not, and the conspiracy at all, yeah. so that, that, and that, and this, and so it's slavery. At the end of the day, it's modern-day slavery, and it's the same type of slavery that happened in the U.S., you know, hundreds of years ago, man. They were, you know, you know, over, not, not even, like, you know, 150, 200 years ago. You know, there were people who were, they were used for sex. They were used for labor, which is what we know is well-known. They were used for all kinds of different forms of, 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 of human trafficking, but it was called slavery. And it's slavery it was slavery then, and it's slavery today. It, it occurs to me, Remy, that um, the whole QAnon thing could be, and I... For people that don't understand what I'm talking about, they're going to think I'm nuts, but I don't care. Uh, this is just what it, it looks like a duck to me. Uh, it, it looks like COINTELPRO. It looks like PSYOP COINTELPRO to me. The the whole uh, controlled narrative thing, because there's two truths and a lie or two lies and a truth. You know, uh, not all of QAnon is nuts. Some of it is actually, yeah, they, they're onto something there. Then the rest of it is nuts. But I don't know where to draw that line. But it seems to me that that is an awful useful thing to do as a PSYOP to discredit that it even exists. Yeah, yeah. I don't know much about QAnon. I know about the human trafficking that I've seen and I with my own two eyes and the things that I've, I've researched. And, and, and a lot of this stuff is open source. There's so many articles, local, more, so, more so local articles, especially in the U.S., and in other countries, but there are international articles and stories, news reports of actual traffic victims. There's a story that came out of uh, Dallas uh, a few months ago uh, where this girl, she goes to the Dallas Mavericks basketball game with her father, uh, gets up to go use the bathroom, never comes back. Father goes to look for her, can't find her. Security truck goes, tries to find her, can't find her. Cops come, can't find her. They write it, write it off because she's a teenager as a runaway. Parent, the father gets back home, talks to the wife, they're devastated, of course, and they're just like, this is not our daughter. She has no reason to run away. Long story short, the father reaches out to a human trafficking organization. They're able to find her on the dark dark web. There was a profile set up with her. She had been sex trafficked. She was taken, and she was sex trafficked on the black market for weeks. Uh, Sting was set up. 
she was rescued and some of the traffickers that were at that house where she was rescued, they were at that basketball that game that day. This is not some QAnon conspiracy or something happened. This is open source of articles on ESPN, all over your local news. This actually happened and incidents like this are well reported across the country, mainly on local news networks and around the world. So again, it's real. It happens. It exists. And, uh, and yeah, here in the province of Alberta, we had one uh, police chief that said, oh, yeah, this is a big, big, big problem. We had another one saying, oh, this doesn't even exist. You yeah, know, yeah. That was, and it's a pretty big gap. I had on the show uh, country music star Paul Brandt, and yeah. uh, he is very much into um, uh, trying to raise awareness and advocacy and, and rescue for human trafficking of all kinds, including, and in particular, child sex trafficking. His idea was that um, really the police work for municipalities. So yeah. it's a, a cooperative of mayors that is actually probably the, the most impactful place to start and getting mayors to say, Hey, cops, you work for us. You're, you know, we're the ones uh, giving you the paycheck. We want to see this on the top of your priority list. And we want uh, monthly or quarterly reports on your progress uh, for how you're dealing with sex trafficking. Cause I don't know of a police district in North America that does that, but yeah. you know, we, we can't th- also can't think of a worse crime. So why is this not at the top list? And what do you think is the solution? Um, I think it's not at the top of the list because there hasn't been proper awareness made. You know, uh, I think that, and, and and I think that the people who have really spoken out about it are some of them have been people who have, that don't have the credibility to speak on it. Mm. And I think that that's tarnished the, uh, the idea of human trafficking. And uh, um, so I think that that's a, a, another thing. What was this, uh, that's the main thing. What's, what was your second question? Well, just what you think the uh, solutions might be. Like Paul Brandt figures, yeah. it's mayors. It's, it, it's on a municipal letter letter level that is a good way to address it but what are your thoughts i think you know i think one thing i do i spoke at a men's conference earlier this uh this past weekend and one thing i said to the guys is i said you know because the whole topic was about human trafficking and the importance of men and you know people in general but not supporting pornography because you know the majority of of of, uh child produced and viewed Pornography, child pornography, that a lot of it's American men. Uh, you know, the majority of the people who watch this stuff are American men. Uh, there's a lot of porn- pornographic content that's created with traffic victims that Americans support and pay for. Um, there, you know, there are, uh, it, it's, 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 it's just an epidemic. And, and just there's a, there's a new app out called uh, OnlyFans. Yeah. Are the majority of the people on that traffic victims? No, but a good number of people on that are traffic victims. Pornhub, they're traffic victims on this kind of stuff. And a lot of people don't realize that they are actually supporting trafficking by watching this stuff. So how do, you know, so so my message to the guys there was one, you know, you don't have to admit whether you watch pornography or not. I'm not there to judge you, but be cognizant of the fact of what you might be supporting. And the second thing that I said to the guys towards the end of the message, because they were all fired up, was do whatever you can do 
whatever it is that your gift and calling is to engage in the fight, whether it's, you know, uh, volunteering tactically to volunteer with a nonprofit that does rescues, whether, and I'm getting to the point of the question in a second, I'm just kind of building up there, whether it's, you know, you, you know, you're good at admin and you're going to do admin, whether it's donating money to a nonprofit, a credible nonprofit, because there's a lot of human trafficking nonprofits out there that are just a sham. You know, they use the money improperly. They're just a business, right? That they're not really doing anything with the money that they receive. That's just the reality of it. Um, uh, so whether it's donating money, whether it's volunteering aftercare, and, and the last example that I'll throw out is whether it's making a film. And for me, as I mentioned earlier, to bring this full circle, that's where I felt like I could have the biggest impact because people will watch movies and, 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 and through a film, breeding awareness at the end of the day, just to answer your question plainly, it all starts with awareness. It all starts with, with, with educating the masses. It doesn't matter if a mayor gets on board or does this. It doesn't matter law enforcement. You know, if you don't have the support of the people, the body of people, you know, who are like, I'm going to engage in this. I'm going to be, and it could be as simple as looking or being aware of the signs and symptoms of a trafficked victim. There's a story that came out earlier this year uh, or late last year uh, of a girl who, uh, uh, a flight attendant, who was a Delta flight attendant who recognized the signs and symptoms of a trafficked victim. She, you know, she saw a child that was with an adult, you know, any other flight attendant person would go, oh, that's the, the child's parent. She was like, there's something off here. That child is not with their parents. She recognized the signs and symptoms of a trafficked victim, did something about it, come to find out that child was being trafficked, was being moved from one state to another state, right? So let's, so, let's pause there for a second, Remy. So what did mm-hmm. she see? What were the red flags? I don't, I don't recall all of the red flags, but the biggest one I think that, 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 um, that was talked about was, was this overly submissiveness and timidness. Timid, uh, being uh, the child was overly timid, overly submissive, and clearly frightened in some way, right? Just consistently throughout the entire flight. That's what I remember from the article. But it, it, I mean, it's all over the news. All you got to do is, is Google Delta um, uh, Delta Airlines. I have a list on my computer I could pull up that breaks down all of the signs and symptoms. So I'll do that right now if you give me a second. But that's what you know what she was able to recognize. One of a few other signs that she was able to recognize and, and which caused her to dump it. But she wouldn't have done anything if she wasn't aware, if somebody didn't educate her on the realities of it. So to me, I think that that's the main solution. Um, now, here are the signs, some signs and symptoms. My document just opened up. So this is just a few. It's not all of it. So, you know, uh, for some, someone that's often in the company of someone else uh, 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 who he or she defers to or seems to be in control of the situation. So you see a person that, that, that you know, uh, um, they're always deferring to somebody else and that, and that somebody else seems in control of them in the situation like the entire time, you know, then that's probably the sign. Uh, a person who appears coached. You know, like they're not speaking for themselves. They just, you could tell that they're trying to recite or remember a script. Uh, a person who lacks personal possessions and is and, and may live in unstable uh, living conditions. A person who has no freedom of movement, that, that visibly has no freedom of movement and, uh, and deals in unreasonable security measures. A child, if a child stops attending school or stops attending sports or stops attending uh, whatever it is that they consistently do, that's something to look into. Uh, sudden dramatic changes in behavior, bruises at various stages of healing, 
fearful, timid, or overly submissive, signs of having been denied food, water, sleep, or medical care. And this is a big one. Traffickers recognize and take advantage of people who are vulnerable. So with every traffic victim, the trafficker is always looking for somebody who's vulnerable. And out of all of the situations I've dealt with working in human trafficking and, and doing my research, every story comes back to a person who was vulnerable in some way. Bless you. A person who is vulnerable in some way and desperate. Egypt is known to be the organ harvesting capital of the world. Why is that the case? Because you get so many migrants from other parts of the world who go to Egypt. They're desperate. And they willingly give a sell a kidney. Now, it's illegal to do that, but they'll sell a kidney in order to be able to have some money, gain a bigger opportunity. It could now, have I mean, been you, Remy, the way because you grew up without a dad. It could have been exactly. you. Could have been me. Could have been me. There's another story out of India where a girl, she was um, uh, she was in a low caste system. And this, again, all you got to do is Google some of these keywords. Egypt, organ harvesting, capital. Well, most people, most people have no idea that India has a caste system or that, oh, any, yeah. that any major country has a caste system or what a caste system is. Yeah. Um, and for those that don't know, it's a multiple class system um, where yeah. you got serfs on the bottom, like the peasants. Yeah. And I got to watch the language that I use sometimes because I'm like, people don't know what a serf is. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. call them a peasant. Yeah. Um, but these still exist and are still powerful today and and this is how people are victimized and this is one of the concerns about people coming across your southern border i mean how do you get more vulnerable of that than oh, that okay. of of course a pile of these uh people coming across are, are going to end up in trafficking rings of course they are yeah 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 so i'll jump to a story about that in a second back to that lady in india she was in a low caste system and she got a message one day hey there's a job opportunity for you in new delhi She's excited. Great. This can help me move up in some way or have a better life. She goes to New Delhi. The co-worker, I say that, in, the employer, excuse me, I say that in air quotes, um, uh, had an apartment ready for her, told her, hey, all you have to do is go do a, a, a medical checkup tomorrow at this clinic, and then we, you can start work. You can't start work until you get your medical checkup. She goes to the clinic the next day, gets her medical checkup. What well, gets undressed to get ready for her medical checkup. What kept her alive is her attentiveness. She overheard the nurse in the other room tell a doctor this girl was giving up these organs. She then got dressed, boogied out of the clinic, went to the straight to the police. The police didn't, you know, uh, raided the clinic and, and, and this and this uh, trafficker's home. Come to find out that they uncovered a multi-million dollar organ harvesting ring that had been going on for years. What did they prey on? They preyed on a person who was absolutely vulnerable. The guy who I'm uh, back to the Mexican border. And what's the Mexico-American border? What's going on down there? The guy who I'm releasing his interview tomorrow, he was lured to lured to Mexico because the traffickers created these fake um, travel agencies in Mexico, and they sent these advertisement advertisements throughout South America via ads on social media, via you know uh, email blasts, uh, pamphlets, and so on and so forth, saying, "Hey, come here and and, and enjoy the." enjoy this area and and we may be able to get you access into the u.s right for a trip to the u.s so you got all of these people that are coming because they're in the hopes that they will be moved into the u.s but instead they get to this specific place that you know this guy breaks down in the video and they're enslaved and this guy was put in a house 
with a hundred other people, traffic victims. There were no doorknobs on the on the, on the on the inside of the doors. These people were completely enslaved. The girls were sex trafficked. The kids were used to move drugs into the country, into the U.S. And then the uh, the men were used for labor and or at the, the, after their families paid X amount of dollars, it was nine thousand dollars, I believe, um, to the traffickers. The men were executed because they were of no use anymore. So, again, vulnerability. These are people, there are people who want to go come into America and they're desperate for a better opportunity and they're vulnerable and the traffickers prey on that desperation. I asked the guy who was trafficked, I said, what would be your message to the U.S.? And he said, this happens. And it's happening on a border at a scale that, that, that people probably can't even fathom. And there are people, men, women, children that are dying in slavery because this is a huge, it's a huge money maker for traffickers. As a matter of fact, as mentioned, you know, it's a, it's a thirty-two billion dollar uh, human trafficking is a thillion billion dollar industry in the U.S. It's one hundred and fifty thousand, one hundred and fifty billion industry globally. Okay, and for traffickers, they're getting wiser, realizing it's more lucrative to traffic a person's organs than it is to traffic a person for sex. Because we know, based off of source reporting, that a, a clean heart and lung starts, just starts on the black market at $130,000. Just starts. That's where bidding starts. Um, uh, uh, lung, uh, kidneys and, and, uh, and livers started about a little bit under 100000 And corneas of the eye started $30,000, right? So we want to be conservative and take a human body, two kidneys, everything, and just we could just, we could just conservatively say, the human body can go for five hundred thousand dollars. Now, the, the wealthy, just, the wealthy people that are making the purchases have to at least suspect that uh, where these organs are coming from. But what is the story that they're told so that they can justify it in their minds? Some do, some don't. You know, I'll, I won't give away that answer because that's touched on in the film. That's, All right, that's, fair that's, enough. That's but what I can tell you is, I can tell you a story that people can look up. It's a story out of Costa Rica where an Israeli doctor was brokering. brokering kidney deals in Costa Rica. So Israelis who needed kidney transplants, they were flying from uh, Israel to Costa Rica and, uh, and, and and this broker would find local Costa Ricans who were desperate, needed money, and would pay them X amount of dollars for a kidney. Right? And so, you know, I don't quite know what the people who were buying the kidneys, who could afford to buy the kidneys, were told, but I mean, I mean, it's clear that they knew something. They're flying to this country to get a, ki- a new kidney, right? And so, uh, so yeah, it's a wide spectrum of things. But, again, you know, traffickers are realizing that it's more lucrative because uh, how long would it take a sex traffic victim to uh, to make 500000 for their trafficker? Take a long, long time. And, and, again, and that's just if we're conservative. Because- yeah, the, the average um- – profit per person for sex trafficking is, is about a quarter million dollars until they're, yeah. you know, used up and thrown out. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a hell of a lot of money. But if you can carve them up and, and sell them for organs, that's a that's a whole lot more. Yeah. It's funny how people have no problem believing that this happens in China, which of course it does. Yeah. But uh, it's like, oh yeah, it happens over there. But yeah. NIMBY, not in my backyard, you know, it couldn't possibly happen here. Hear no evil, see no evil. And um, we're civilized. civilized. No American would do that. No, we we don't have psychopaths with billions of dollars in our country. Uh, Yeah, yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah. How else? There must be trafficking for uh, stem cells as well. I haven't, I haven't heard that. You know, it's so interesting. I was in an interview with a uh, human trafficking nonprofit on Sunday. And she brought up something new to me. She brought up something about melanin, a melanoma, melanin or something like that. She heard a story of somebody's blood or something. I was like, I never heard about that. And I, you know, I never heard about stem cell, but, um, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I could see bone marrow. You know, that's tough and uh, tough on donors because it hurts like a son of a bitch to be a donor. Yeah. But um, it, but it, but it saves lives. The bone marrow transplants. Yeah. So, uh, it, it just. And another thing I like to touch on that the film touches on too is this idea is when a lot of people hear about traffickers, especially as it relates to organ harvesters, they think of these dirty, grimy evil looking people when when you get into the details of it they as you mentioned a lot of these people who run these trafficking organizations are wealthy um a lot of them are doctors and nurses for example they in 2016 again this is all open source stuff that people could look up and find in 2016 the egyptian government did a raid on a organ harvesting ring clinic and of the 45 people that were arrested the majority of them were doctors and nurses along with millions of dollars that was that were that was detained right Doctors and nurses, right? A guy off the crackhead off the street is not going to be able to cut somebody up in, in, in the right way to be able to get the organs that they need to get. It takes somebody who's trained, surgically trained. And that's something that people need to understand that these, these organ harvesting rings, and I go into great detail in the film about how intricate they are. These are, they, they, these are high level, high thinking individuals. I guess one of the reasons it's so hard is we've been conditioned as a people that uh, somebody wearing a a lab coat is basically a demigod and we we bow to the demigod and we just do how dare you question the demigod when is in 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 fact um, and I apologize to all the friends of mine with with medical degrees but uh, but it's just true that there's a that there is a larger than average proportion like disproportionate to society are sociopaths um narcissists and psychopaths who want to be surgeons and high-end doctors not to help anybody but for money prestige and fame which are all pursuits of sociopaths and narcissists which is also half the reason with our political system these are typically the people that seek power uh, and that's the avenue with which they seek it and really have no interest in you and me they just have interest in power and money and that's it and pretend to like you and me because that's what narcissists and sociopaths do they pretend to give a shit but they do not exactly 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 that's it um i i I think we're about there are we missing anything remy i'm i always get flummoxed with these conversations i i had a, a really tough conversation just the other day on the show where I just, about um, euthanasia and the scope of it and how easy it is to access euthanasia in Canada for yeah. almost any reason. Feeling a little yeah. blue? We'll kill you. It's a lot cheaper than keeping you alive. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just find myself beside myself um, yeah. at just how horrendous the, the reality of our world can be. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And when we have kids, you know, and think about how things are now, how much worse will they be later? And that's that all comes back to why I made this film, you know, uh, it's not just about me, you know, uh, I can take care of myself. Uh, I've lived a good life. At the end of the day, it's like, what, what kind of world do I want my kids to live in? You know, and uh, it's important, it's 
for more people to get engaged in this fight in some way. Um, just like the euthanasia, you're using your platform, um, your resources to talk about it and educate the masses so that they can do something about it. At the end of the day, you know, that's what we as, as parents especially have to do. We have to work with all we have in order to ensure that we leave uh, our kids a better world. Um, because we only have one earth, <laughs> one, you know, one race of human beings, right? There's, there's, uh, there's only, there's no, there are no other types of humanoids or anything running around this planet. It's, it's that we up. know of. That we know of, yeah. <laughs> uh, there, are, there is a Bigfoot, but uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it. Hey, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> I'd like to see one next time I'm out hiking. Scare yeah. the hell out of me, though. Yeah. I, uh, but you're right. One earth, one people. Um, I was just at a at my stepson's uh, college or university uh, degree ceremony. It was pretty cool a few yeah. months ago. And there was a First Nations, uh, f- thank you. And there's a First Nations fellow that uh, came on stage and he goes, oh, everything's such a mess. <laughs> and it will stay a mess until we realize that we are all one people and we yeah. only have one planet. Yeah. You know, we yeah. are not divided. This is all illusion. You know, there's, yeah. there's just one of us. And yeah. until we get that, you know, we're we're a hot mess. We've got to figure it out. One hundred percent. One hundred. No arguments for me. <laughs> yeah, brother. Well, um, I guess final question: uh, Do you have any access to get your ass on the Jocko show? Uh, do you have access to that guy? Because hey, he's know, got I such a big. In, I ran into Jocko. So I get that question all the time. I ran into Jocko at the terminal this morning because I, I worked on that TV show for Amazon, yeah. and he was like, "Yeah, dude, you need to come on my podcast." You need to come on my podcast. I was like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I reached out to one of his contacts a few weeks ago and never heard back, so we'll, we'll see if that happens. Well, he, he's got to get off his his ass, for Christ's sake. It's the Navy SEAL Brotherhood. Do you a solid. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll All right. See. Well, just do a couple of uh, Jocko Fuel um, commercials for him as, as, as freebies and, like, hey, Jocko, <laughs> that'll get that guy's attention. But from him, Joe, and, you know, we just got to get it covered more. So um, stay on the line. I'm going to introduce you to everybody I can think of that will help uh, get the word out. And uh, Remy, brother, thanks so much. Uh, thank you for having me. It's been an honor and blessing. And again, thank you for using your platform to, uh, uh, to talk about this and talk about other issues that are, you know, affecting our world, you know, not just our countries, but our world. So uh, thank you. It's my honor, brother. I mean, you're not the first Navy SEAL I've had on by any stretch, but you're certainly the first prince. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my, my last name, Adi Lake, means the crown is supreme. So every time somebody says my last name, they're, they're paying homage to my, me and my family. <laughs> well, when I get down to South Cal, uh, you'll have to let me know the proper protocol if I should bow or curtsy. <laughs> All right, I'll keep that in mind. I'll, I'll make sure you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, stay on the line, Remy. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and royal folk, too. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help 
which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud.